0: Is Aaron Rodgers checked out? Uh, Was 2020 Josh Allen a mirage? How good is the NFC and AFC West divisions? And how bad is the NFC North? Let's preview and recap week one to the opening bell.
1: All right, let's cut straight to it. NFL football is back. I know I'm pumped. Brett's pumped. You all are definitely pumped. Probably lost a ton of money with all of the underdogs pulling the upsets this past week. But if not, stay with it. We'll be your helping guide throughout the season. So let's start from this past week, Brett. What was the biggest takeaway you got from NFL week one?
0: Um, I think there's a lot of takeaways from this. Again, you don't want to overreact too much to week one performances. But I think there is a few signals that we can take from week one. And one of that is really monitoring and prioritizing uh, offensive line play. Mm -hmm. So pretty much across the board, what we saw was teams that we knew Had a subpar to bad offensive line, uh, you know, pretty much struggled uh, across the board. And those teams that had, you know, stronger offensive lines, uh, outperformed. Um, so I think that's like kind of one of my major kind of takeaways. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, no shows that we saw again, like Bill's kind of no showed, Falcons kind of no showed, um, you know, and, and I don't want to discount those poor performances entirely. Um, but I also don't want to overreact too much to them. And, you know, it's, 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 going to be good to continue to take the temperature of the broader marketplace on how they're interpreting week one results and then try to capture, uh, you know, imbalances there, whether they're kind of now overly bullish on a team, unjustifiably so, or now overly bearish on a team. Um, And and one of the ways that we're going to kind of try to qualitatively capture this phenomenon Is something that we'll be releasing um, this week and and every week, kind of moving forward. And that's kind of just this uh, uh, market narrative around all teams, kind of following every week. And we're just going to provide like a one line kind of qualitative statement on the market's kind of view following this, following whatever week's performance uh, there was, and then kind of continue to track that over the course of the season and see how narratives change on teams. And I think, you know, this will be a really interesting practice too, for future seasons. And again, to look back on and again, see how did the market overreact? Like just one great example for this week is obviously the Falcons got blown out by the Eagles. Um, you know, if you thought that that game, that game was going to be competitive, totally fair. If you thought the Eagles were going to win, totally fair, you know, you and I are, were much more bullish on the Eagles from a broader macro perspective over the course of the season than the market. Again, PFF. I think we've talked about this several times, uh, talking about how the Eagles were in position you know, to be one of the worst teams in the league. That certainly didn't show up in week one. Again, not that maybe that doesn't happen, but doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Um, but kind of an outcome of that performance was, well, Arthur Smith is, You know, he's not ready to be an NFL head coach. Uh, Matt Ryan looks like garbage, like us time to blow up this team time to restart. Um, and you know, that's the week one, the post week one narrative on the Falcons. And we know after watching football for several years, that week one narratives, you know, often case are not a permanent fixture for that team. And there's ebbs and flows over the course of the season. And I, I feel like that Falcons is the one team that I feel like has been downgraded the most mm. by the market because obviously the Packers got blown out by the Saints. They were a complete no show, but I, I'm not seeing a lot of people meaningfully downgrade the Packers. They're kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt like, again. Yeah, hey, is Aaron Rodgers checked out? Oh, maybe, but maybe does he revert back to that 2019 2018 version that we saw of himself that again, didn't look that great that's exactly what we saw uh this past weekend but again people are giving them the benefit of the doubt um and which i think is fair you know i mean we saw the the tampa bay bucks last year you know get completely demolished by the saints um and it was noise. so i mean this one could easily be noise as well but or maybe maybe it's not but what what were some of your kind of key takeaways
1: zach Oh man, that's tough. Um, You know, I'm still catching up rewatching all the games. I think I'm four or five games in deep. Um, Honestly, nothing really shocked me. I think the preparation in the off season, like you said, kind of prepared us for, you know, the high variant Eagles-Falcons game. Like obviously there's teams like the Falcons, you didn't know what to expect exactly, which is why, you know, it was kind of tough really backing them with conviction throughout the week. but in general, I mean, there were there were a lot of upsets, but even like Pittsburgh was in the realm of possibility that we we were on the Raiders as the week became clearer, um, I started to come around on, you know, so I don't know, like to me, it was just the more prepared any better can be just from knowing the teams, knowing the schemes, knowing the coaches, knowing the offensive lines and, and the head coaches. Um, once again, I don't. I don't think the weak ones are as surprising as maybe the market thinks. Obviously, the market probably rides a lot of the favorites. Um, and I know, uh, you know, in our some of our allocate picks for the super contests and whatnot, we kind of went against the grain in our own respects. But um, in general, I, I feel pretty good about the week, so I'm, I'm excited to, to move ahead. Um, but to touch a little more specifically, let's go to. Um the actual kind of slate, um and you might be able to touch on this better, Brett. Uh you you sent this my way from I believe Lee Sharp um has a website based on uh yeah, you can speak to it better. The uh, the ELO rating. Yeah, the NFL prediction yeah. game,
0: which is you know, uh a spinoff, of something that five thirty eight had been doing for a couple of years. Uh, they had since retired it but then kind of at the last minute i guess brought it back this year um but uh lee sharp was kind of first to the market this year to bring the game back so got a lot of attention there's like 700 plus people a lot of the people that again we follow and communicate a lot with on twitter a lot of the analytics crew is in there um and you know this is a great way to really flesh out who is not just a good handicapper, but also who has the skill to properly size positions who can uh, properly take into consideration uh, different sorts of risk management uh, principles. Um, You know, you want to position not just uh, who you think is going to win, but then How do you uh, quantify your conviction uh, on a standalone basis? And then how do you quantify that conviction relative to the market? So those are like three critical components of how you will ultimately perform well in this type of contest. Because essentially, if you think that a favorite is going to win and you are unjustifiably tough, and you lever up on risk. It's asymmetric upside downside. So if you were to say, well, I'm hundred percent sure the bucks are going to beat the Cowboys, you're going to get, you know, 25 points for that. Uh, but if you're wrong, you're going to lose 75. So it's a hundred point swing in one game uh and also you look like a complete idiot uh and we know i'm upset all the time so you want to moderate how you know your level of conviction on these games so that you're capturing the upside of those games that you have confidence in but you're not going to get your face ripped off if you happen to be wrong because of course many of us will be wrong over the course of the season and it's going to be those participants that lever up on particular games and then lose they're going to be out quick because again you lose one game high conviction game again you're down three x what you can make on one game so you're now you're going to have to lever up on another three games like you know theoretically and win them all crash and burn yes Yeah. yeah and then just to break even mm-hmm. and if you go two and one you're still going to be massively net negative yeah um so it's going to be a fun game to participate in o- over the course
1: of the season uh just to earn broader
0: well, kind of well,
1: points and and because i mean it's public and there's other you know well-established folks a part of this it's actually you know kind of it's more than a fun game i think it's kind of like you don't Want to mess up, right? So, like, I, I, for instance, and we'll, we'll finish on this, is I put the bucks at ninety percent, which basically meant I was risk to get twenty four out of twenty five max points. I was risking, like, sixty five points. So the downside risk of putting the bucks at ninety percent conviction, what just simply wasn't worth it, right? So almost any game in the NFL, like to go that high, just like in this uh, competition the downside risk like isn't worth having that kind of conviction um you know just like how if you know the bucks were minus 500 versus the cowboys like is it worth you know 500 bucks to win 100 on that game like based i mean no it's it's just it's not um and so what i think's interesting about this too is they have a market percent uh built into each game and i think that's a good kind of signal for us to pull from as far as identifying where was the market way on or off relative and then did it come to fruition and what, what is gonna be the reaction to that, right? So if we start at the top of the bucks, you know, 78% lean to the bucks um, as far as conviction stands and so bucks one makes them feel good, obviously it was much closer, really could have swung the either, either way in the end Um, But if we go through like 63% was on Atlanta and kind of to Brett's point is now we have some quantifying measurement to kind of solidify the qualitative observation of the market feeling in in a butthurt frenzy that the Falcons should fire the owner, fire the head coach, rip apart the team, go back in time, draft Justin Fields. Like that's everything that people have been talking about the last three days. So. Although the one thing that I will point out here is um, and
0: I'll have to double check on this, but, you know, and and I think there's been some other guys in the analytics space who have been building like shiny apps and things like that around the NFL prediction game that can help you uh, dive into some deeper insights, kind of like what you were just kind of implying, trying to trying to evaluate how is this pool of participants positioning themselves and then using that as a data point mm-hmm. to speak on how you know broader kind of market sentiment, but the market percentage in that, that column there, that market percent is, I don't think that is how the market is positioned. Mm. That's simply just a mathematical number based on the spread. Uh, so gotcha. what, what's like the implied percentage that they'll win this game? That makes even more sense. Um, yeah but, but it, so i don't think there's a lot of signal from that gotcha from that gotcha, because gotcha. that's just market price um but i think to your point there are ways to evaluate again broader pool positioning which i think that for sure um can be
1: a source of alpha generation you know yeah. moving forward gotcha gotcha um well if we go through the slate then real quick and so we can get ahead to to next week. Um, just kind of maybe like a one liner on each game. That is your biggest takeaway from what you either saw or what you read. And I'll give kind of my, uh, rebuttal, um, in that fashion, or if you want to touch on maybe what you think the market is now thinking about that team, whether it's accurate or not. So if we, you know, if we obviously do the bucks, Cowboys real quick, what's your like one line takeaway.
0: Um, I would upgrade the Cowboys from that game, not meaningfully so, but um, I loved the fact that they threw the ball 58 times. And a lot of people were giving credit to Helen Moore, Mike McCarthy, et cetera. And then there was reports, you know, and and through interviews and things like that over the course early in the week um, about how Kellen Moore was saying that they called like 28, 30 runs. And Dak Prescott was the one then audibling out of the, the run into the pass. So, you know, it's like the immediate outcome of that game was everyone praising mm-hmm. the Cowboys coaching staff for being so aggressive mm-hmm. and adapting to kind of some of the practices that we know some of the more forward progressive leaning teams across the league have already been adopting, which is kind of this pass first philosophy throwing on early downs. And this bit of news seems to actually counter that. Hmm. that kind of market uh, perspective. um and that was really more so DAC that unilaterally made those sorts of decisions. So I'll be curious to see, how that now plays out because actually what that does for me now is it makes me kind of pull back a little bit on hey this cowboys team is going to be aggressive now because the coaching staff the source of that aggressiveness wasn't necessarily the coaching staff and i wonder because they lost and i feel like mike mccarthy is prone to kind of be very results oriented rather than process oriented and say well you know we lost that game so it didn't work and Dak, you better stop doing that you know uh you know we're gonna you know, we're going to give you less flexibility to, you know, change plays at the line of scrimmage. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of just my kind of key key takeaway from that. Also, I think what we already knew Bucks secondary weak, one of the, their weakest components of, you know, all the different segments of their team. And then, you know, lost, you know, key man early on in the game. And then the Cowboys just kept picking. Jamal Dean pretty much all game, which kept working. So props to them for exploiting that weakness. Um, but you know, that's obviously not reproducible week in and week out. Also, the Cowboys lost, you know, one of their key offensive linemen, Leo Collins. I think he's suspended now for like five, six games. So, you know, you want to take that. I know Michael Gallup got hurt during the game, and so obviously, injuries is going to be something that we always want to take into consideration on a week-to-week basis, and we want to make sure that. You know, that doesn't slip through the cracks uh, as we continue to kind of move forward. What about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, you know, the first five series for the Bucks, um, they called a run play right up the middle on all five series, leaving obviously, like, second and eight for Brady. And it's just, it's, like, I don't know. And remember, there's the meme of Brady calling off late in the game a play call from um, the OC Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich, and you know, yeah, I love that. It's it's so the, the so you spoke to one weak point of the Bucks. So I, I think the Bucks are going are to go back to the Super Bowl again, unless one of these two things is their Achilles' heel and it bites them, which essentially is what Brett already said. Obviously, the secondary, and number two is the synergies between Byron Leftwich's play calling and Tom Brady being a better play caller as a quarterback. And I mm-hmm. think those because like and, and I, I couldn't I, when I was counting it when I was rewatching I'm like wait did they just run it on first down of this first of the next series again and then again and then again like like it, it was just like it, and that's what they did last year and it's just like what like stop like just stop like you have literally literally you have the best quarterback of all time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you set him up for success and remember that was our,
0: one of our concerns around this team last year. Mm-hmm was the play calling.
1: Yeah, so so if this team runs into an effective defense, like a healthy Rams defense maybe in the playoffs, you know, and like we saw last year when they played the Rams, or like a good defense like the Bears last year were decent, um, even the Giants, um, because of the play calling, it, it can put Brady in a bad spot to where the Bucks offense gets a little clammy for a half or a quarter or what have you. And we saw that a lot actually last year. So that's that's my one kind of like, I'm very bullish on the bucks overall, but like, be careful. Like you just, you don't know when the play calling is just not gonna have the synergy to, to work. Um, but going to the next game, I, cause I don't think, I think everything we talked about already, um, Eagles, Atlanta, I have not had a chance to rewatch the game. I read up on some things. Um, any takeaways from you, Brett, on that?
0: Um, yeah. And I think what we should do is kind of like, as we go through these games, um, and like I talked about earlier, we'll be releasing this one pager that kind of summarizes what the key market narrative takeaway from the game is. Um, I think that's what we should, how we should kind of frame these as we walk through these games, just real quick. Mm -hmm. What's the market view of this game? What's the market takeaway from this game? And then how do we personally plan to pivot from that market narrative? Do we buy into that market narrative or do we think it's, it's it's you know overly bullish or overly bearish etc and so i would say kind of like i i touched on a little bit in the opening is i would say there's probably no team that downgraded more than the falcons in the minds of betters of collective betters following this game falcons are obviously minus three we bet the falcons across you know numerous of our you know different exposures that we have um and you know again we have been bullish on the eagles but that's a macro view not necessarily a micro view and you know definitely made some money on the eagles once they got once they kind of showed that the game broader game narrative wasn't going to go the way we originally thought it was going to go and we were quick to jump off that narrative because we already had this center of belief in the eagles and particularly jalen hurts and jalen hurts didn't necessarily play great But he didn't play like the worst quarterback in the league which so many people evaluated him as. And so I don't think, I think the bearishness on the Eagles is so strong that there's very few people upgrading the Eagles out of this game. Mm -hmm. So I think there's probably still value on the Eagles moving forward. Because people are reluctant to upgrade them. Kind of like the market's Mm -hmm. reluctant to downgrade the Packers. They want to continue to believe, whereas the Falcons preseason perspectives from the market was ambivalent it could go either way like maybe Arthur Smith's going to be great and he's going to be a potent offense or maybe their offensive line their defense still sucks so this was a terrible performance and there wasn't much conviction from the market to go one way or the other anyway so they're going to default which is what they just saw so I want to say there's value on the Falcons but I'm not going to be quick to jump on them right away like you I need to watch this game in full, but from just some of the key takeaways that I saw from the, from the box score, you know, they had two good drives right off the bat and then it was garbage the rest of the way.
1: Yeah. And to, to finish on that, I think next week sets up terribly for them with the bucks having 10 days prepare, and, and because the bucks did not play very well and squeaked out a win, I imagine they're probably going to be pretty, they're going to be more buttoned up than they were versus the Cowboys. So you could see another shellacking um, at the hands of the Bucks, which then the market's really gonna completely abandon Atlanta, which again, I wanna rewatch this game because their first two drives, they had more yards, I think, than the entire rest of the game combined, right? So like, Mm -hmm. so something was working early that then just completely, you know, shit the bed. And obviously the offensive line had a big part in that. Um, But yeah, so, Moving forward. I agree. I just wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole next week because of the situational team they're playing next week, though. The line is like 13 and a half, Uh, but we can get to that uh, later. Um, So next game uh, Steelers at Buffalo. Any takeaways or uh, market sentiment that you picked up on?
0: Um, so I watched this game pretty closely and, um, you know, this was a really fun opening weekend. I was actually, I still am in Vegas. Um, I was watching the game with a buddy and also Josiah Sharp Clark, who you know has been on some of our pods here and, and will continue to be over the course of the season. So we had a really good time. Uh, we picked the Steelers in one of our Circa contest plays, um, which, you know, in one of our joint contests that we're doing with, Uh, Josiah uh, Sharp Clark and you know and and he was a driving force behind this game he really liked the Steelers and again I'm sitting there next to him during the game and we're watching this game play out and really at no point in time over the course of the first half and even leaning into the second half did it really look like the Steelers were going to win this game much less or not cover this game, much less win the game uh, straight up. And it kind of was just like this kept hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. And Cowboy and then the Bills just never exploiting the the opportunities uh, uh, to continue to move the ball down the field. Josh Allen missed a lot of throws, um, looked a lot more like the 2019 Josh Allen. So all those market purveyors who were pounding the table that Josh Allen's going to regress this year. Josh Allen's going to regress this year are probably feeling, you know, super sharp right now uh, and vindicated. And I'm going to say that it's very short-sighted, very short-sighted. Yes, you are (laughs) short-sighted. This is obviously versus one of the best defenses in the NFL, if not the best defense in the NFL on week one. Um, That was one of Josiah's kind of primary handicaps. One of the reasons why he wanted to lean into this game so much was because of his confidence of the Steelers' defense. That thesis certainly played out. Um, Another part of that thesis was, hey, maybe there's going to be some surprising upside from the play calling from the Steelers as far as uh, Matt Canada, their new OC this year. That was, nah, like maybe. Maybe there was a little bit more uh, motion Um, maybe a little bit more creativity, but what I saw from big, like, I'm not upgrading the Steelers from here. They are what I think we thought they were, they got a great defense and the offense is like mediocre. I mean, it was a lot of dump off passes, not a lot of explosive plays, but again, you got a smart quarterback and Ben Roethlisberger, you know, obviously you have a great coaching staff and you have a great defense and those are going to be sufficient catalysts. Kind of keep them in games, I think. But again, the offensive line didn't look great. They weren't moving the ball again explosively down the field. There were very few big plays, if any, none come to mind. Um, Again, I'll have to rewatch it. But basically, I think my key takeaway is no upgrade to the Steelers. Again, maybe because we were higher on the Steelers than the yeah. market was. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, so maybe the market's upgrading them. We're not, or at least I'm not. I don't think you are either. Um, and I'm not downgrading the Bills. Yep. I'm not downgrading the duels off this performance.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say downgrading the bills off the performance, but, uh, you know, again, I think Josh Allen has a little bit of Lamar Jackson in him, which is, like, he's really good for fantasy. He's been improved a lot by the coaching staff, but he's still not... Like, he's very reliant on a coaching staff supporting his ability to play the style that he excels in. And... If if you figure that out as a defense, if you can tap into that a little bit, you can kind of exploit his other weaknesses type stuff. So, I don't know. Like it, obviously, they're not going to play the Steelers again until the playoffs if if that happens. Um, but it it solidifies what I've thought all along, which is Josh Allen is a little overhyped, just like Lamar Jackson. Like they're very good in the right spots versus the right teams, and then they're not that good against better teams that have kind of figured them out. Um, so that's just it. Well, I think it's it's hard to say he's overhyped
0: just because I think, to your I think you make a good parallel with Lamar Jackson, just I think in the sense that he's somewhat of a controversial player in the sense that there's a kind of pool of betters that think he's the real deal and he's awesome and he's a top three quarterback. And then there also is another pool of players who, like, don't believe him who, well, he threw for a 50% completion rate, like pretty much his whole life, except for last year. That's an outlier. He's going to revert right back to being sucky, You know, and so, and I feel like there's very few people down the middle, which I would say I'm somewhat down the middle, leaning more towards Josh Allen being a top 10 quarterback, not a top three quarterback. But I think what we saw in week one is not going to be reflective of the longer term performance that we see from Josh Allen and from the Bills.
1: Yeah, and, and, and to be honest, that's probably like we said, the toughest defense he's going to play all season. So might be his worst game perhaps. Yep. Um, so next up, we got Jets at Panthers. I would like to start this one. Um, got a chance to rewatch this one. Um, you know, the Jets offensive line was pretty bad. I mean, maybe the worst in the NFL bad, especially now that they lost their lost their left tackle for the season, um, you know wilson did look who's one of the best left tackles in the league who's one of the best that's going to be tough to replace um so you know wilson looked okay and he i think he's got nice poise he's good at scrambling and finding big plays down the field when he scrambles so that that's a nice element to where the jets can find points whereas i think darnold's a little more hesitant like you know when he he was just more skittish i guess when he's under duress Whereas Wilson has a very nice poise to him, I think. So that will play... That's why I think the Jets came back is is because of that kind of fundamental poise. So that, that's good. But that offensive line is not going to make anything easy for the Jets the entire season. And so, obviously, Panthers could take advantage of that. But, you know, Jets are just going to be a tough team to really back... You really have to find the right spots, I feel like. Um, they don't suck. I think the defense is close to mediocre maybe not like bottom 10 in the nfl maybe they tip tick closer to the the 15 range maybe um mm-hmm. aggressive maybe it's it's tough sledding so that's my jets take. and, and panthers i just think you know darnold's getting acclimated they relied heavily on uh christian McCaffrey. um if Darnold finds rhythm with his receivers, this offense could be top 10. I mean, legitimately, like, formidable offense. They have the weapons. And Darnold doesn't even have to be amazing. If he's if he's average, they have the weapons to be a top 10 offense. And, you know, I think that could carry them potentially even into the playoffs. Um,
0: and Panthers, who were our survivor pick this week in the Circa Millions survivor, we have two entries, uh, one with Sharp Clark, Um, and, uh, our solo entry, we picked the Panthers, um, never really in doubt. Uh, maybe the spread got a little bit in doubt there near the end. Um, but the Panthers winning this game straight up, never really in doubt. Um, and what I would say is I'm not, I'm certainly not upgrading the Panthers from here one because we are higher on the Panthers in the market so there was nothing that i saw that i would upgrade them from an already above market consensus view uh in I, fact maybe i'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't score more points one of the things that we're going to be coming out with every week too is this x-ray report that provides kind of again zach and i are wa- rewatch all every single game every single week and we're going to provide this report that essentially from a qualitative perspective, us watching the game, not just you know looking, pulling you know NFL fast R data and kind of doing you know looking at just the from a quantitative perspective, we're getting that nuance and we're going to be providing kind of like what we think the adjusted score of these games are. And what was your adjusted score on this? It was um, the, the the Panthers won by a more by yeah, more.
1: Yeah, I think I think I had ten to. They won by ten to thirteen points more. Is what I have. Mm-hmm. If my memory serves, I have, to, I have to look at it, but yeah. Um, it was definitely more than a, more than a touchdown. I think it was closer to 11. And what I would say about the Jets is
0: I liked what I saw from the second half. Again, maybe the Panthers pulled back a little bit. Again, they were already winning by like double juice and kind of just let them and kind of sneak back in. But I liked the adjustment that I saw I mean, It's hard to really judge again, a rookie in the whole first game, much less the first half of the first game. Mm-hmm especially when you have such a bad offensive line and Zach Wilson did not have a sense of timing in no. that first half, especially, yeah. um, the game was moving way too fast for him. Um, but I think he can adjust to that. And I liked what I saw. I see a little bit of positive side. Their defense wasn't bad. Again, I don't know how much of that is maybe again, like a, the Panthers offense just didn't perform as well as we thought they could have, and maybe they still will. Um, but I, so I'm not downgrading the jets,
1: not upgrading the Panthers. Yeah. The the only thing I would finish on with, with the Panthers is, you know, I, I think I slight slightly upgrade them because I think they're going to improve with their timing and because Christian McCaffrey, I forgot, I think, I think maybe the market forgot too
0: how, How
1: how good he is and how they do over rely on him, but He's just he he's just Mr. Reliable to get first downs, move the chains, big plays, touchdowns. Like yeah. that's, and that's and that's and people big...
0: underrated. I totally agree because he's the type of dude where it's like three four yard gain, and now it's fourth and six and you punt, but he turns that into a first down yeah. and extends the drive because he's able to you know be so agile and fluid, you know to kind of make his way around those defenders and not just with his physical prowess, but also just with his kind of football acumen, you know, positioning, angles, this and that, anticipation. Just all very, very impressive. Fun to watch. Um, and yeah, he is a meaningful upgrade. Another thing is obviously he missed almost all of last season. I did not see anything that made me think that he was slower, gimpier, more hesitant, anything like that.
1: He looked prime. Yeah, he's going to have a big year. I mean, if he's healthy, for sure. Um, So next up, we got Vikings at Bengals. So this is one I whiffed on um, in part because I bought the narrative that Zach Taylor sucks, which he does. He's still the worst coach in the NFL. And I hate that his name is my name. But, I mean, he literally cost the Bengals the game like two times, like just his head coaching decision-making. Which is which is sad because Bengals definitely outplayed the Vikings and were the better team um, on that day de- on that day for sure. Um, the Bengals. So because
0: your adjusted score, you had, had
1: said that the Vikings win this game. So because Zach Taylor is head coach, Vikings should have won this game. If the Bengals had any other coach in the NFL, the adjusted score would be Vikings. I am sorry, Bengals win this game by four points instead of three. Right. So. It's, it's just, it comes down, it's like the Matt Patricia effect, like, or when Deshaun Kaiser was the Browns' quarterback. You, it, they're just so bad in, in like, game decision-making, you know, live-action, how to function just at a, like, even an average level, that they're always making negative um, EV choices and it just compromises the positioning of the team, of their ability to win. I mean, Bengals should have lost that game. They were up 14 points in the, what, in the fourth quarter? And, and the Vikings had seven points. They, like, it, it could have been a blowout by the Bengals. Like, and it probably should have been. But that's, like, but they went into OT and should have lost if Dalvin Cook doesn't fumble the ball, arguably, when he's sitting on the ground. It's just, like, like complete head coaching numbskull. And, but you know, on the flip side, the one thing they did do is their schematics. Um, they did a lot more, uh, basically, uh, having Mixon in the backfield to protect, um, having the running backs to protect Joe Burrow. So because their offensive line isn't great, that helped give Burrow a little extra time. Um, so I think they may have like fixed some schematics because they're young coaches and they're a little more, you know, willing to accept critique and improvement. But in-game decision making is just like still bad, and I don't I don't know how it's very difficult to handicap mm-hmm. this team in my opinion because of that kind of like macro just factor. Um,
0: yeah, but yeah, that's and so I, I I need to rewatch this game as well. But so, what's your kind of key takeaway in 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 a sentence or two on on Joe Burrow?
1: Joe Burrow looks good. I, I think if he has time, he's, he's very efficient. He's very, he's 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 strong. He's a top fifteen quarterback, I think already, um, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure. He's and he has got the right mentality. He's got the right attitude. He, he's he's really a no bullshit, you know, talk shit like like he's just out, he's out there to win it. Like he's he's got the right makeup. Um, so I'm I'm very impressed, honestly. I think I think he's right up there with. I know Justin Herbert gets all the love, but I think the two of them probably. Are going to be neck and neck for for a while. Mm-hmm. Being best QB in that class, and and so this
0: is another game, actually, where I would say, you know, the market may be a little bit torn on.
1: I don't. How do you
0: feel like the market is is viewing the Vikings
1: now? I think they think the Vikings probably suck, and I I would think that's silly. I think they were basically they had the most penalties I think of any team ever in the and either in the NFL or in Week One and so they they obviously shot themselves in the foot but still found a way to take advantage of zach taylor's head coaching decision making and get it to ot and they should have won if it wasn't for a fumble so on the road and and cincinnati was i mean so far one of the most popping crowds i've seen and i mean they were jacked and they were a full capacity stadium and there was three false starts in the first drive for the vikings so I'm sure that had some effect. Um, So, yeah, I don't don't downgrade the Vikings. I think that's
0: one of those teams
1: that we knew
0: had a not good offensive line.
1: Yep. And
0: that showed up decisively so. Yep, for sure. On Sunday. Yep.
1: So, yeah, but moving forward, I think, you know, Vikings have a tough road match against the Cardinals. That could go either way. I can make a case for, but in general, I, I mean, I think the Vikings are what we think they are. I think the defense actually played better then I think the defense was out schemed by Zach Taylor and um the offensive coordinator. So I don't know. I mean it's, it's what does
0: that say? If you're out schemed by ostensibly well, one of the worst coaches in the NFL.
1: Yeah, but but again it, unless
0: you're upgrading on. that no, coach.
1: But stuff. you have all off season to kind of like get it right once. True, true. Yeah, you know, so you, that, that's actually, that's actually where like the worst coaches should have their best day like you can scheme the whole game like you have all offseason to do it That's true. So that's true. Yeah, I, I don't true. I don't really I take it with a grain of salt because I mean we, we have to see how the Bengals perform You know because again, it's mm-hmm. just it's just the bad decision-making in-game makes me think like if you can't Teach an old dog new mm-hmm. tricks mm-hmm. like it, it's not gonna last like it's gonna come back to yeah. reality
0: No, I think that's a really good point is to say You know, because there were some good performances that we saw this week from bad, from what the market would say is our bad coaches. Hmm. So, I mean, the Eagles coach, I mean, he was like the favorite to be like the first coach fired this season. This is his first year. I like I like, And Uh... obviously you saw, you know, a pretty strong performance from the Eagles. Same thing, obviously, from the Bengals. Cliff Kingsbury, another coach that, you know, maybe a little bit controversial, maybe there's some people who think he's, you know, a really great head coach, but I would say most kind of more sophisticated sports bettors have him as a bottom tier coach. He and, and the Cardinals, you know, decisively trounced the Titans. So, but I think that makes a good point is again, if a bad coach is going to put together a good scheme. It's going to be one that takes six months and it's for one game. And then how do they adjust when it, when they only have six days, yeah. you know? So I think it's a good point as far as, you know, being patient on, you know, uh, altering your priors on some of these teams that you thought weren't going to be so good and the performance ran counter to that thesis in week one. You know, be patient with your reevaluation.
1: and you have to consider, I think like every team is at a different stage to start the season, especially with the preseason that some of them didn't even play their starters at all. So, you know, it it really take a week one and two kind of like with a grain of salt of just like, don't say this definitively is what this team is because they literally like kind of like the Bucks last year is why I was so bullish is the market didn't realize that the Bucks were literally spending the first five weeks of the NFL season, figuring out how to like, how the team functions. So like, you can't, you can't get too high. You can't get too low. Like you're literally just trying to figure out like, how do we play football together? Like, who, who do you like going this way or that way? Like,
0: although what I will say is I feel like there are some broader takeaways in the sense of like when the Colts lost to the Jags in week one last year, Mm -hmm. I don't think like too many people, meaningfully upgraded the jags off that but i feel like what that game showed was that the colts were not going to be super bowl material yeah and what i feel like that i can take away from this week one is the packers the packers are not super bowl material yeah
1: Yeah, i i think that that makes sense um which actually we could just go to that game so packers saints any other takeaway besides that or I, I, I got to rewatch that well, game. I'm well, this was a
0: game. I mean, again, we, yeah. Uh, I mean, this was a game that me, you, uh, Josiah, all on the saints. Yeah. Um, you know, there was really, you know, we tried to make an argument for taking the, the Packers again, as you should do when making any picks you want to be, make that devil's advocate perspective, uh, because if you can't, then you're not seeing the game. Clearly you can't. Like. One of the things I want to make sure we don't say, especially publicly when we're on podcasts and streams, but even in private is it, I cringe when I hear other better say, I can't see X and Y, Z have I can't see this team winning. I can't see this team covering. Well, then you don't have a lot of imagination. Hmm. This is the NFL. I can't see the Packers losing by 30. You can't. doesn't mean that it's probable but you're saying you're discounting as like an impossibility you can't see it happening i could see it all happening and that's why when you're making your different picks you always want to say well what's the counter argument and if you say well i can't think of a counter argument you're not seeing the game clearly move on and this is kind of a good time to maybe bring out another one pager we're going to be releasing over the course of the season, which in which we're going to start here in week two is essentially trying to determine an argument for both sides of every game. Again, in just one or two sentences real quick, real brief, something you can easily digest. And I think will be good helpful for our process as well, because what you have to do is you have to make the case for both if this team covers this is why if this team covers this is why and when you kind of go through that process I think you know you'll help really kind of narrow down your
1: your highest conviction uh perspectives yeah uh, I dig it a lot um yeah I, I don't I don't think I think this one's probably an outlier game for both teams um so I, I don't think
0: to- well, okay, well yeah I didn't say I'll just say one one yep. takeaway in one or two senses which is uh, again, Jameis Winston throws for five touchdowns, uh, barely through for a hundred yards, very efficient offense. all right. Not very Jameis Winston-y and Sean you Bain. know, when, again, I was sitting watching the game, you know, Josiah made some really good points around, you know, um, um, name something in my mind, the Bucks coach.
1: Oh, uh, Arians. Where's Arians? Arians.
0: Yeah. Very aggressive coach. Probably. I mean, Winston, since, again, I think he's generally, substantively a bonehead, uh, that you give him the leverage to be aggressive, and he will exploit it to his own demise. Literally. Whereas Sean Payton, what it looks like, is going to say, no, you do not have free reign. You are going to do what I say, exactly what I say, and that is it. We're going to be conservative. We're going to leverage your skill set because obviously Winston has the physical attributes to be a great quarterback. But I think he's very Jared Goffy in the sense he needs a coach to like be his brain for him. And maybe Sean Payton is going to be that. And if that's the case, Jameis Winston has more physical prowess than someone like God, So if you can take that, put interject Sean Payton's brain into Jameis
1: Winston, then well, that can pose some problems. You actually summed up the argument better than I could earlier in the preseason of why I think I'm bol- more bullish on the Saints than most people I know. And it's because of the assumption that I think Sean Payton is gonna find a synergistic kind of Goffian McVeigh type um relationship to where maybe Winston just follows literally the playbook. Like just what is the like what is the play design? I just do that. I don't need to I if it's not there, I do this. Like like dumb it down da- like literally dumb it down for him. Make it at mm-hmm. his at his level because they still have kill players. They still have a great offensive scheme. And they still have some very good defensive pieces. Now, they're a little banged up after this game. Um, I know Marshawn Lattimore is having some surgery. Um, he might be out a few weeks, I believe. Uh, I think that an offensive lineman went down as well. Um, Davenport <laughs> defensive line went down. So there are some like injuries mounting for the Saints. But on the bigger picture of the season, I, I mean, it, it's hard for me to think that the Saints aren't going to be what they've been the last four or five years, which is at least... Definitely an average team, definitely above average. So 8, 9, 10, 11 wins type team is on the table. And I think the market had this kind of like, they lost Drew Brees, they're going to go 6 wins, 7 wins. And it's like...
0: Well, and that's what happened every season when he got... When he would get hurt. Yeah. Was the Ram... The, the Saints were then immediately discounted. And, they, and then whoever the replacement quarterback came in, obviously, always outperformed.
1: Yeah. And the one then almost went undefeated every time. So... Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see a lot changing for the Saints other than the, the other pieces on the team, maybe you know, depleting the roster a little bit around Jameis Winston. But I don't think necessarily Jameis Winston with Sean Payton is really. It might actually end up proving to be like a little bit of an upgrade compared to last season's Drew Brees. So
0: definitely could. What, what I would say is I don't think Jameis Winston's going to always be kept under wraps. No. Like I think he's going to show his ugly side from time to time. He mm-hmm. just, you just can't keep the bad decision-making
1: bottled up too much. Dr. What is it, Dr. Jack- um, so there's Jekyll, Dr. Hyde? type personality? Yeah.
0: But I think it's going to be obviously less severe than in the, in the past when you had coaches, like again, Arians, who probably weren't even trying to do it at all. Mm. Um, the other thing is, James Winston did throw an interception in this game in the end zone. Um, and there was a penalty, so it was called off. So that's again another thing that you might miss that if you're not watching the game. Um, again, it wouldn't have changed the outcome, of course, since it was such a blowout. Um, but the one of the reasons why I liked the Saints going into this game and what we talked about in our kind of in our war room leading up to our picks in on Saturday was I liked the the Saints because I feel like everyone kept talking about how this wide receiver crew is by far the worst in the NFL. And I'm like, first of all, have you seen the Lions? There's much worse. First of all, I don't even think the the, the Saints wide receivers are bad. And that really showed up big time in, in this game. They were not a handicap at all. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, that was kind of like the main drive. And again, I, I wasn't too bearish on Winston anyway. And I kind of like the main thesis was basically the Saints were minus three to start the Offseason when the market already knew Drew Brees was going to be out, and then just a change of venue, um, and the loss of Michael Thomas, which they didn't play with Michael Thomas all that like basically all of last year, um, is worth six, seven points. Just seemed unjustifiable. So it wasn't like we thought obviously the Saints were going to run away with this. Um, I thought the Saints could maybe win straight up, um, but the four plus four that. Was juicy, and I'm glad we were able to, uh, you know, cash tickets and and, and make some money on
1: that. Yeah. Um, let's go to so San Francisco Detroit. Um, I think this was pretty obvious once I didn't watch it yet, but San Francisco was up 41 to 17, running away with the game literally. And then Detroit mounted a little bit of a comeback and almost got lucky in the end and somehow maybe had a chance to tie it to go to overtime, but, um, Obviously, came up a little short. Um, seven, seven and a half hit. Got over, you know, the eight and a half, nine. Probably feel pretty shitty. But um, yeah, any any takeaways from this are, are the are the Niners. Obviously, they had some big injuries. They lost Mostert for the year, which running back doesn't really yeah. matter. But they lost Verrett, which is a big deal. They're a cornerback. Yes. Um, yeah. They signed, which of course I mean, signed Drake or Patrick, I believe, to replace him. I don't know if that. I mean capable veteran, but we'll see how much of a, the Niners are habitually one of the most injured teams
0: in the NFL. And we talked about in our preseason preview of the Niners that 2019 was the outlier of them being very healthy, not the inverse 2020 was not the outlier of them, maybe, you know, obviously they don't get, they get that hurt every year. Um, it's hard to obviously identify what the driver is, is coaching conditioning or what's going on with in the water over there. Um, but the thing is Jason Barrett, I mean, if you handicap that he would play more than eight games this year, then you don't know what you're doing because he gets hurt every year for last year of like, of all season. Um, and so it was, he, he was not going to play all year. He was not going to play half the season. And now it looks like he's not even going to play more than a full game, um, which is totally consistent with his path. Um, and obviously losing monster hurts, um, you know, I mean, there's only so many running backs you can lose. I think Elijah Mitchell obviously looked pretty decent. Um, so I don't think it's going to be, it's going to be super meaningful, but I thought it was pretty noteworthy that Trey Sermon, a lot of people were on uh, the course of the off that Had this massive upside and he was a healthy scratch. So what does that say? That the coaching staff's evaluating um what i would say about i downgrade the niners uh their defense was not very impressive and i was even saying again when 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 we were watching the games with josiah um that even when the Lions being blown out like the lions looked clumsy kind of silly dropping passes like but it wasn't like that the execution or like that the scheming was bad. It was like the plays, the play calling, the setups were not bad. Mm. And it was like just bad execution because they don't have talent, yeah. but they didn't look like a dumpster fire at all. Even when they, again, when they were down by 20 plus points, I, I was saying to Josiah, I'm like, I mean. Obviously, they don't look good. It looks like the Niners are definitely cover. So, pat ourselves in the back. This was like a nice, easy cover. But it was like, I don't think the Lions look that bad. Yeah. And so, I am probably upgrading the Lions after this game. Interesting. Even yeah. if they didn't mount that full comeback, if they lost by twenty, I was going to upgrade them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact that I mean, however they got there. I mean, the fact that they've scored 33 points is kind of, speaks to the upside of the Lions that I think the market kind of doesn't want to give credit to, which is Jared Goff is, has thrown, what, 40 touchdowns in a season. Um, TJ Hawkinson can be a top five tight end. DeAndre Swift can be a Kamara-like running back. maybe Obviously not Kamara, but, um, you know, Tyrell Williams is a capable receiver, is a number two. Even if he's forced into number one role, um, went to Cephas, right? So like they have, they have a better offense, and then the offensive line, than I think the market wants to give them credit for, and it's because they hate Dan, Dan Campbell and they know the defense is bad. So, but but it doesn't mean that the offense is bad. Like maybe the offense is middle pack of, for the rest of the season. Like once they get acclimated well, maybe, and get figured maybe. out, maybe right. And that's where mm-hmm. I think, especially. I think, especially if this team can get leads early in games and kind of put some pressure in the defense and kind of like pin their ears back and be more aggressive and not be flat-footed. That's where maybe the Lions can surprise some people and cover some games and and maybe even win some.
0: Definitely cover some games, and that's kind of the angle that I want to take with the Lions as they look like... I mean, we did the preseason preview on the Lions, and it was like just double-digit spreads like all season the team i saw on sunday looks like a covering machine if they're going to keep being discounted to that extent um especially so like penesual you know their first rounder who looked like garbage in the preseason just getting knocked down he didn't look like he didn't belong and one of the reasons was because he was playing on the opposite side that he's accustomed to playing on And obviously that was a big change so much. So, you know, like you write with your right hand and you're at perfect penmanship. And now you try to write with your left hand and it looks like garbage. You can't even write. Maybe it is exactly like that. I mean, I'm I'm off his line. I never played off line, but it seemed like that was the case, at least for him. And then in this game, obviously, you know, they lose Decker, one of their best offensive linemen. Um, But then that means he shifted to take his place, went back to his traditional slot. And then he played awesome. Played exactly like what the lions thought that they wanted from him. As you know, a a top first round pick. So this could, this whole move just by happenstance could change the entire trajectory of this dude's career, you know, instead of being out of the league maybe (laughs) or something like that, you know, put him in his rightful position. And now, you know, he looks as good as advertised. So, um, again, it looks like, again, the lions offensive line outperformed played well that's gonna keep them in position to cover games i think it's
1: a good point anything on the niners
0: again i would just i would i downgrade them um the injuries i mean the, the lions defense obviously did not look good um again i'm not downgrading the lions to the extent i think they're bad but again we're high we're high, we are high on, on on the niners especially if they were going to be innovative with rotating kind of quarterback play. Hmm. Um, but given what of the rest of what I saw from the NFC West, hmm. I think the
1: Niners are going to be hurting. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, I rewatched the game though. Um, Jags, Houston, we uh I'll start real quick. I was on Jags all offseason buying the hype of the Trevor Lawrence-Urban Meyer marriage, probably because I'm a Tebow fan and they signed Tebow and I kind of just like sticking it to people who hate Tebow, um, even though he's obviously not cut out for the NFL anymore. Um, but as they got closer, you know, Brett was pounding the table about, wait, 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 how come no one's... Giving the Texans any credit for having a proven veteran quarterback and a bunch of proven veterans and the oldest roster in the NFL, like these guys all want paychecks. They all are playing for pride. They all have experience. And then they're playing the rookie on rookie on rookie Jags, right? Like it's just like from a, as that argument continued to kind of, um, you know, live with us, we, I know Brett was more on Texans than I was, but I, I was on the Jags. I even put bets out on the Jags preseason. And as it got closer to game time, I was reversing that position because it just didn't make any sense. And Texans, it really was Texans or off. I even, I think, posted to Twitter that Jacksonville was not a playable side. You could not play Jacksonville in this game. You're an idiot if you played them. And I was an idiot because I played them too early. But it, it was just kind of that clarity of Urban Meyer has been a shit show. Um, Trevor Lawrence is overhyped overhyped rookie. Jacksonville does not have a great roster um, and, and you know it's gonna take time for this team to even get into a position of being decent. So whereas Texans have a bunch of veterans, hmm. proven veterans. Tyron Taylor has started for three different teams to start the season the last what three years? That, that shows that teams literally are like you are good enough to be the starting quarterback on our, on our team the last three years. So Yeah, that's just kind of my um, macro view on this. Anything from you as far as downgrade, upgrade?
0: No, because I think this is one of those games that played out exactly how I was kind of narrating it Mm -hmm. to you prior. (laughs) Um, That everyone, because you're talking about the fundamentals too. Outside of the fundamentals, just the, the line was bad.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, too, they're I mean, at
0: home getting more than a field goal. Well,
1: and, and the Jags, um, and, and we even said that, I think, was, how are the Jaguars, who've proven nothing, minus three and a half in a division game on the road? In what universe are we living in? What, th- that's an entirely well, overhyped line. It's all hype. As there's, no, there's no basis well, for that.
0: And the other thing is, is, you know, plenty of... You know, I saw plenty of just super negative sentiment on Texans. As far as name one player on the Texans' offense, mm-hmm. or this is one of the least talented teams in NFL history. What, what are you talking about? Like, they have Brandon Cooks. Mark, they have Mark Ingram. David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, who maybe each on a standalone basis is not an elite running back, but I wouldn't count any of them as the worst running back. And then together, it's very complimentary. I, and then Tyrod Taylor, you have one of the best offensive linemen in the league as well. Um, again, the offensive line is not good, but you have, you know, spots there. Um, and you don't know what you're going to get from the coaching staff at minimum, at least like you could get that surprise. Um, and the market had discounted them as basically the worst coaching section. So there was no downside pretty much that. It was it could only be upside. Um and again, by no means that I think the Texans are gonna win by 30 or whatever. Um but and again, I, I'm not again I'm not upgrading the Texans. The Texans are what I thought they were going to be. I'm not downgrading the Jags. The Jags are what I thought they were gonna be. Again, Urban Meyer is not a coach that takes adversity well he quits in fact (laughs) he quits so i mean i was at uf when you know he quit and you know that was like the first bad season that uf had had and he couldn't take it and then obviously you know uh um uh I, there's very there's nothing to like about the Jags. There's some to like about the Texans. Again, like I don't know. I, I'll just look at market pricing, future market sentiment. I mean, I don't know how the market is is upgrading the Texans right now. Uh, I need to hear more about it. But I mean, if the market is dismissing this game, then there's still upside on the Texans. If people are meaningfully upgrading the Texans, then, then there's not yeah, because the Texans are still not going to be good.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't think they are, but I mean, but Texans, I think did establish that they are potentially dangerous against teams that underestimate them. I mean, because, because of that, I mean, and, and it is an underestimated kind of through line is, you know, when you have such a veteran savvy team, you have, you know, you have the ability to have that kind of upside performance because they've been there before. They they know how to play. They know what to expect. Like. It's like there's no surprises, right? And and that's that's you know, like a veteran, you know, basketball to any any sport. So, um, I might actually I just I'll, think Tyrod Taylor is gonna get worse yeah, over he, the course of the season. For sure, for sure. I mean he definitely probably has This is
0: probably his best game of the year.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um but yeah, I, I think and, and to just finish on Urban Meyer, I was bullish on Urban because in part, um the market was kind of shitting on him from the very beginning. And like, I kept trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, kept trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, even like the Jags to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I just can't. And, and I, I, it's the more I read about how he thinks about football, even came clean about college football being basically admitting that the reason he wanted to try the NFL was because he was tired of having to win the recruiting battle. Because that's all he basically could do. Like, that was the game. The game is win the recruit battle. So, I'm not even sure that the last five to 10 years of Urban Meyer's college football career was spent doing very much scheming and X's and O's and wasn't just spent doing a shit ton of going to players' homes and recruiting them and getting ready, you know, like just like getting ready to head coach a game. But so, how, you know, this whole like innovative Urban Meyer, Theme that the Bulls of Urban Meyer have been on, including myself previously, I think was a fantasy. I, I honestly don't know if he has a fucking clue what's going on. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if this actually is a bigger disaster than even the Bears think it is. Like I, that's that's how much I've expanded, not just because of this game, but just the process of how we got to this game and kind of reading up on some things that have been happening. It's just like red flag after red flag after red flag. You know, at some point, like, Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's the red flags for a reason. So,
0: yeah, I just think I don't know if Urban Meyer is mentally, psychologically prepared to not be good this season, which obviously
1: he should. He he said he's working Um, on it.
0: You know, and I think, you know, one of the criticisms of Urban Myers is, you know, he's still viewing this game, the NFL game through the lens of college football. And we know, you know, we've seen this repeatedly that, you know, certain schemes, players do not, the, the college success does not always translate mm-hmm. into the pro game and that he's trying to still, you know, uh, again, design and approach the game from that perspective and there's this friction between those two and at what point does it evolve Mm. is he sharp enough to evolve and adapt or is he going to keep trying to force the issue well i think that's what you want to kind of continue to look
1: out for and
0: um i don't want to Again, not, like I I'll said, be, I'm not, I'll you
1: know, be—I'll no, I'll be bold. No, I, I'll—I'll be bold. I—I think the Jaguars are currently unbettable until there is a sign that, to your point, that Urban has figured something out. Because in all honesty, I—I yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he—he he doesn't figure it out. He can't figure it out, and it just becomes a complete shit show. Based on what I've been reading about how he's handled some things and how there's already some, you know, some coaching staff issues because remember they hired a bunch of call co- his friends from college. And then he hired a bunch of NFL season professionals to kind of counterbalance kind of like the NFL game. And so he's one, he's probably got too many cooks in the kitchen with varying views on how teams should be operated and you know, using, Threats, and I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna lose your job. Taking over drills of, you know, position coaches if they didn't get things right, like very college-minded, and that's that's not gonna work. This is not gonna work. Doesn't not in the NFL. These are adults, like.
0: No, I totally agree that Jags are unbeatable at this point in time. You, you got to wait to see some signs of adapt adapting. And what I saw from Lawrence was not terrible. I mean, again, he threw some, you know, three picks, I think, um, you know, again, the decision-making is slow. Um, but, but I wouldn't say any, I didn't see anything where I'm like, Oh, this is, uh, an un, you know, like an unfixable flaw. Um, so it's still TBD on him. Uh, I feel very justified in one of the things I was talking about during the draft was that Mac Jones, is gonna be the best quarterback out of this quarterback crop. And uh and I was talking again at the sports book with Josiah and my friends that, you know, one of the animosity part of the animosity that I have for Justin Fields is partly unjustified. Most of it is substantive, I think. Again, I'm bearish on Justin Fields longer term, but part of it I'll acknowledge is emotional. And I I'm from Chicago. I'm a Bears fan and I'm just pissed that they took fields over Mac Jones, um, which I feel like is totally consistent with the bears making bad decisions. And again, trying to go for the sexy choice, the highlight real quarterback, Mm -hmm. who may provide short-term excitement, you know,
1: but long term what, what's funny you know, is disappointment it, they're doing the the typical i know there's a term for this somewhere but basically like doubling down on negative um cho- like bad choices right so the first bad choice was rushing to get a mr trubisky, trubisky instead of getting the flashy um uh, deshaun watson choice right like get the flashy or patrick Mahomes, or obviously patrick Mahomes. um and then doubling down where ah we we missed. We we gotta go back in time and do it again, but this time and reach yeah, for se. And and so literally they they're doubling down on their losses. They're hey, uh, let's double the bet and then they're gonna lose this one again. And it so, Yeah, they it's bet like, on
0: red, didn't win, so now they bet on black. It's
1: actually my bearish case on Justin Fields is only because the Bears drafted him. I don't even I honestly don't know enough about Justin Fields to know if he's good or not, whatever yet. Um you watch that I, northwestern game. You, you, or at you, least you've you told me to several times. But, but I mean if you think about it, like like kind of like the proofs in the pudding from teams value like Bill Belichick was like, let's go get Mac Jones. Let's go get him. Um the Bears were like, let's go get Justin Fields. Like, uh, who are you gonna trust? Like who like just from I I'm not the ex like Bill Belichick knows more than me just bill belichick
0: well and there was the news over the last couple days that we talked about offline uh around the niners and shanahan Mm -hmm. actually wanting mac jones and it was higher level management outside of kind of like direct kind of football iq that kind of unilaterally decided they they wanted trey lance Mm -hmm. and they actually had to convince kyle shanahan to go along with it and that was one of the reasons why again you and I were you know not skeptical per se but it's kind of like I don't know what to make of Trey Lance it's like I'm not bullish but I'm not bearish I mean if Kyle Shanahan likes him I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and say he probably knows what he's talking about but now it comes to light that maybe even Kyle Shanahan (laughs) didn't like him
1: it, and, and it actually makes me think the same thing the Niners the, the Bears did, the Niners did. Which and it is,
0: makes me like Mac Jones
1: even more. Yeah, it's it's a very good point because it also it makes me think the Niners brass, which are not coaches, not you know, not personnel experts per se. Um, you know, they chose Trey Lance because everyone's looking for the next Patrick Mahomes. Nobody wants the next Brady. Right? Like if you think about it from the 49ers perspective. Literally, they're I guarantee this is the conversation behind closed doors. Well, we already have Jimmy Garoppolo. Why would we get someone who's basically him but not him? Like, if we're gonna get, if we're gonna get a, you know, a, a quarterback to change our future, it's gotta be look more. It's gotta look. The car design has to look more like a Patrick Mahomes, you know, Ferrari. So let's get the the knockoff Chevy. We we maybe it, it looks like a Lamborghini, but yeah, it's a Chevy with uh, underbody lights. Yeah. And instead of going for Mac Jones which is like oh let's say he was a top 10 QB you know let's go for the 10, top 10 QB no 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 let's go for the, the all timer like but you, like that's not how it works like do you actually believe he's an all timer so why didn't you like why didn't you trade up with the Jets like like I don't know it's just like he's the third quarterback being selected so I, I don't know like it, 49ers drafting Trey Lance didn't make any sense to me Justin Fields trading up was a complete splash play. And, and the irony is the Bears, um, GM and, and head coach we know are in hot water. They're doomed. So at what point are they just going to, you know, throw in the towel and put Justin Fields in and, and let it ride? Like, you would think make that big of a splash, you're just gonna let it happen. Okay, so Seattle Colts. What's a takeaway that you got from that game?
0: That sacks are a quarterback stat. Interesting. The Colts offensive line was obviously, you know, one of the best in the league the last couple of years, obviously a little banged up, uh, missing a key starter. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, Wentz back there, making their offensive line look like you know bottom 10 in the league, which is not the case um i really didn't I, this is one i gotta watch again but from what i saw there was nothing positive to really take away from Wentz so i understand you know he's got you know bum foot or whatever kind of mispractices all this, all this type of stuff so i want to continue to give him the benefit of the doubt there was nothing to see there that should would make you bullish. The defense looked bad. Wentz seemed to be a downgrade. Um, obviously they have injury concerns, as is. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and we um, you know, we leaned Seahawks all offseason. Uh, and for most of the week. And you know, uh were romanced by the line and uh ignored pretty much all other kind of fundamental arguments and, and ended up making some bets on the Colts. And, you know, uh it was basically a non competitive game. Yeah. And the Seahawks are what we thought they were. I mean Nothing to write home about, about on the defense. I mean, again, Wilson can take the top off, leverage t- Tyler Lockett. You know, got great cre- great chemistry. I want to watch it a little bit more closely, look at some of the bot, uh, some of how the play calls and stuff to see like that. Cause that was one of kind of like one of the big open items that we had going into this week was um in the next couple of weeks is how aggressive are the Seahawks going to be. Hmm. Uh so they weren't not aggressive in this game. Several long touchdowns. Um, Russell, Russell Wilson throwing the ball down the field. But I got to take a closer look and get, got, got to rewatch the game.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I haven't watched the game, but uh, I, I like those takeaways. So for Arizona, Tennessee, this was one of our sharper plays of the week. We were basically on Arizona, only ever on Arizona. Um, you know, and it wasn't really until we saw Sharp Clark's um, of presentation on tennessee that we even really said okay i I see where somebody you know could be on tennessee and and kind of you know overturn that that kind of counter argument um but when you really looked at it the the thing that to me was um the the thing to me that kind of sucked as far as the arguments i heard was no one was talking about that they lost arthur smith and so you know, why is that a big deal? Well, the assumption was Arthur Smith is, you know, calls the most play action and basically turned Tannehill from a scrub back up to like top 10 quarterback Titans can win the Super Bowl type of quarterback. And well, he was gone and nobody was talking about that. It was just the assumption was Titans are going to be just as functional and, you know, good on offense as they were in the past. And maybe that can still prove out, you know, over the season. Um, but nobody was talking about it for week one. And that's kind of where I was like, well, I'm pretty confident. I know what Arizona is going to do against the Titans defense, but the unknown is well, how good is the Titans offense going to be week one without Arthur Smith, um, and a hobbled, uh, AJ Brown. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my, my general takeaway on that. Um, any thoughts from you?
0: Um, just some preliminary observations was, um, you know, from what I was reading that the play calls were dramatically different than they were last season. Um, Not leveraging, again, a lot of those kind of aspects of an offense that position you for success. Um, Again, like play action, like pre-snap motion, throwing on early downs. You know, a lot of those things evaporated. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, this was a one off hard to think that it is because again, I one of the reasons why I wasn't I'm not wasn't and I'm I'm not bullish on the Titans longer term over the course of the season is because obviously all the questions around the defense, also the overrated acquisition of a name brand player like Julio Jones. And then obviously the change the, the change in play calling and that play caller had made various statements that implied You know, this older school approach of, hey, we have an awesome running back, probably the best in the league, and we need to leverage him more. And we know that that is a losing philosophy. It's like very well-documented unless, again, you have a quarterback like Lamar Jackson or something can really start, you know, like messing with people's, you know, minds because there's so much kind of motion. Or again, like a quarterback like Kyler Murray where you can really attack from so many different uh, players and, and and angles and things like that. But the traditional just running the ball, especially stubbornly so, not something you want to be on the side of. So I was bearish on the Titans, not bearish on the Titans, again, bear- more bearish in the market. Now I wasn't, pre- we weren't projecting six wins, but it was definitely, it was under um and that looks in position to cash i i like that one not counting my money yet but it it looks good um i can't imagine the offensive line is as bad as it looked in this game and getting blown up left and right and penalties and this and that just i mean this was miserable can't imagine it's actually gonna be that bad you know i remember like a couple years ago we told the browns look terrible versus the Titans week one. Hmm. And they weren't necessarily great. I mean they weren't that many. Yeah. Um so uh slightly downgrading the Titans this is one of those things that all right I wanna I need to see something. I need to see flashes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can respect that argument. And and they have a the tough game uh next week playing Seattle, so I'm not sure we're going to get much of improvement mm-hmm. there. And actually, I kind of I've been talking about yeah. this on Twitter. Um, I actually think an interesting kind of market sentiment that's happening right now is there's a big assumption that the NFC North is trash because you know Green Bay got smoked, et cetera. But then no one's talking about the AFC South, right? So I think there's a little bit of like hype around this kind of like oh the NFC North is the new NFC East, and I would argue. Maybe the AFC South well, I think, is the new NFC East. I mean, I, I think it's because, again, it's relative to priors. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think everyone's priors was that the, the AFC South was one of
1: the worst divisions. I, I don't know. I think so. there's a lot of bulls on Colts and Titans. Mm. And, and at one point, I think even the, uh, the Jags had some optimism. Probably as quickly died. I mean,
0: I, I'm, I'm just gonna say that in my anecdotal experience, I have not heard. I mean, I think it was, in my experience, yeah, it was pretty unilateral. That the AFC South was definitely the worst division in the AFC. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, and that like all these teams were trending lower, except for maybe the Jaguars. Was the preconceived notion, but they were coming off a very low base, so still, but not. Mm good and that pretty much all for, 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 uh, that weren't great that definitely played out what I would say is I'm not upgrading the cards either because you know first of all you shouldn't unless something totally outlandish happens if you bet on a team and it wins it doesn't mean you have to upgrade them yeah. if you bet on them and they won and they did what you expected them to do. Right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I don't get it. So we, we bet on the cards, thought the cards are going to win. Thought the cards were gonna cover. They did. All right. Pat yourself in the back. Move on. I'm not upgrading this team because one of the reasons why we thought that they were well positioned because, you know, again, this is one of the older teams in the league as well, brought on a lot of veteran leadership. And Cliff Kingsbury has no been known to coach well early in the season, again, because he's not super creative, kind of gimmicky, like uses things that kind of catch you by surprise early on in the season. But then again, it, it grows old. kind of like, because again, it's not that creative. You know, it's like sucker punching something,
2: yeah.
0: you know, like, oh, you, you got me like, try it again, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like what the Cliff Kingsbury effect does kind of sucker punches some teams early on in the season and then kind of there's no more because you know there's no uh you know impressive scheming or process to sucker punching yeah you know and so I, I wanna continue to see like I, if the if the cards look like this again next week I'm not upgrading them. I need to see it week five. I need to see this consistency from them. I'm not sure we're necessarily going to see that. Um One of the things we talked about in the preseason podcast too was that this team's one of the older teams in the league and that, that could either play for them or against them. Mm. All ultimately over the course of, of the season. So, you know, we'll continue to see how that plays out. JJ Watt looked awesome. Mm. So, but again, you know, getting older, injury prone. We'll see how that, you know, kind of, uh, plays out over the course of
1: the season. Um, next game, Cards, Washington. Um, I rewatched... Chargers. Sorry, Chargers, Washington. Um, I rewatched that game. Chargers look... I'm not going to lie, Chargers look really good. And th- I'm definitely upgrading them just for my own power rankings because I wasn't as bullish on them, I think, as like when we did the AFC West pod with Josiah. I... Um, but Herbert is very much in control. Their offensive scheming was very impressive as far as just, you know, ying and yanging at the right time to get their players in position to succeed. Um, and the defense was aggressive, got some pressure, um, looked very capable. So, I mean, Chargers are definitely, especially without Anthony Lynn, this team is definitely at least an 8-9 win game caliber team to potentially maybe 11 12 wins like i think i'm that bullish on the chargers just because anthony lynn's not there so they're the, they're better talent this year than last year with a much better coaching is, w- is what i'm getting yep
0: i'll say i i modestly upgrade the chargers i don't downgrade washington yeah um, I didn't watch this one super closely, so I need to take, I need to watch it as well. Uh, cursory review seems to be that, you know, the Chargers held the ball a long time. I guess it kept extending drives. Um, I know there was a couple kind of key catalyst plays that really swung the game one way or the other, like turnover type plays, penalties, this type of thing. Um, so I, I I'll I'll I'm not going to make a meaningful move on either one of these teams until I I fully watch it. Um, but I I am optimistic because I feel like this is the type of game that the Anthony Lynn coach Chargers surely lose. Yep. You, know, you hang around, you're in it. You give up the lead, and now you're done. And in hindsight, you make some massive mistake in the end.
1: And in hindsight, I think that is what I ended up siding with Washington on was literally fading my own intuition of being bullish because of that coaching change. And then just siding with Washington, just, you know, you get caught up in kind of like the feeling of something and you don't recheck. Your kind of facts around that feeling, um, which I think had been had we been a little more diligent, I think coming around the Chargers definitely would have been a, a possibility, um, just because of the coaching change. Well,
0: it, it's also, it, it's also too. You know, we talk about this offline about continuing to improve our process. One of the reasons we're building all these tools around us that you know we're going to continue to be opening up to others as well is. Making sure that there isn't this post mortem look back and we spot these egregious disconnects Mm -hmm. that says, well, how did you ultimately end up putting money on that pick given XYZ? And, you know, and we've talked about this before, but again, like in the Lee Sharp prediction game. I mean, I had Chargers winning straight up, you know, and to kind of come around late in the game, again, I think not not a fundamental argument. I think in the end, we were, again, seduced by factors that were not relevant to our handicap prior, which was... It was a number one pick in super content or in circa, which was surprising. Um and the line was strongly moving in favor of Washington. So you know it was like pick, then one, then two, then two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leading up into kickoff. And, you know, those are just one of those things that, you know. If those factors materialized, it's a great compliment to your position, or maybe it takes you off a position, but it shouldn't put you on a position. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's one of these things that sometimes it can be harder to put into practice, but you know we should be better than that. And that's one of the things that, you know, we want to make sure that, that, you know, we want to be super transparent, share all of this. I mean, it's not even just for those listening. This is just like therapeutic for us and yep. to make sure that we memorialize and document our weaknesses so we can improve upon them,
1: you know, moving forward. Yep. I dig that. Um, Browns at chiefs. The Mahomes miracle continues. The saga never Chief ends. For real. I mean, uh, <laughs> Brown, Browns are for real. One of the things when I
0: was talking about when I was in Vegas, again, sitting pregame, uh, Josiah, my friend, and me got to the sportsbook at like four thirty-five thirty 30 in the morning so we could get like the best seats uh, because we didn't have the proactive insight to reserve anything. Uh, also, we're kind of being cheap bastards. Um So, we basically were sitting there for like four or five hours before the games even started. Um, So, we had a lot to to, to kind of touch upon and like we're kind of like watching the big board, looking at all the lines change and stuff. But one of the topics of conversation was how I was talking about, and I think maybe I was mentioning to this to you offline when we were kind of doing our evaluation process, was that teams like the Warriors in basketball like can only be so dominant for so long before the league, especially when it's a team so dominant to the fact that literally the entire league evolves to literally like you construct rosters to not just be good, but literally just to be, to defend that team. And we saw the entire NBA centers like don't exist anymore. Mm. in college or in Nba because of the warriors mm. and that just that's like philosophical change now I thought teams would catch up to the warriors because oh they're going to start to learn how to defend the three-point line more aggressively and I was wrong about that but because how they countered it was just oh the the warriors shot 23s okay well every team does that now. Mm-hmm. You got Damian Lillard, James Harden, all these players shooting, you know, 35-foot threes. Like, every other 10th player is like Steph Curry. Yeah. The whole game changed to defend against that team. And I think the NFL, like, the, this is the fourth year now where the Chiefs are basically, you know, just clearly the most dominant team, uh, offensively particularly. Um, and there's various things. The whole AFC West, I feel like. is designed to beat them they're literally not even thinking about them they're just thinking how do we beat the chiefs how do we beat the chiefs and there's teams all over the league trying to do that and when that happens you're literally constructing schemes you're signing players specifically to beat this team Mm -hmm. when that all is happening you can't be the same type of awesome and i was saying this and my friend and, and Josiah were, you know, kind of laughing in my face. Um, what does the Warriors have to do with the Chiefs? No, I'm like, I obviously, every game, but I'm just saying, like, thematically. And, and I feel like the Brown are literally a team specifically built to try to beat the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And I think they pretty much did in this game. They just aren't quite there yet. But several low probability events had to materialize for the Chiefs to end up squeaking this one out. You know, Hunter drops the ball, Chubb fumbles on their own sideline. You know, Mayfield gets antsy, throws the pit. Mm. You know, Mahomes does his typical, you know, bomb, you know, and completes it to Tyreek Hill for a super long touchdown. Now, obviously, he's really good at doing that. So I don't want to say it's like lucky or anything. But, you know, still low probability. Yeah. yeah. And uh, basically what I'm saying is, is you got to be careful betting the Chiefs this season, especially against the spread, because even when they aren't, even when they are one of the best teams, they don't cover a lot, but especially if they're not going to be one of the best teams, yeah. you got to be careful, especially around that Chiefs premium. And then the Browns, look as good, better than advertised. uh, especially some players really stepped up who we didn't expect them to, um, lost Jedrick Willis one of their best offensive alignment. So that's worth noting. Um, but very excited to watch I mean, Baker Mayfield was dropping dimes passes. Like I never seen him really make consistently. I mean, again, he ended up choking in the end reverting back to form, but I think that decision-making process can continue to improve. He's still young, has a great coaching staff, has some great people in his ear. And I think he's smart enough to continue to evolve, meaningfully so, over the course of the season.
1: like it. Right. Browns
0: win the North. I think that's oh, Browns yeah. win the North.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I always had the Browns winning the North, but I had Steelers as my number two. We'll see if that plays out. Um, I mean, with Ravens injuries, it seems... Very close to probable at this point. Um, Dolphins Patriots. I haven't watched the game yet. I will. Any any takeaways? I think that? just to my my point earlier,
0: you know, Mac Jones looks for real. Very very impressed. Again, I keep going back to a lot of the commentary, color commentary that Josiah and I were sharing during the week, or during the during the the Sunday and both of us were just kind of really blown away and by Matt Jones. It's not just like, oh wow, that was a 30 yard pass. Like, impressive, like highlight reel type stuff. In fact, it wasn't the highlight reel type stuff that was so impressive about him. It's, it's the third and six pressure on your face, just uh, uh, moving through the pocket in exactly the right ways while keeping your eyes downfield finding the right wide receiver, hitting him in exactly the right spot with the exact right touch on the ball. Like it just did not look like a rookie quarterback. And there again, there were some reports earlier this week that talked about how Mac Jones was helping Cam Newton learn some of the more sophisticated plays in the playbook. It just really shows. I mean, again, Cam Newton, not bright. I mean, uh, great athletically great, sure. but not right. One of the, you know, had one of the lowest like Wonderlick scores or whatever. Uh, not that, that it's, it's that in itself is unilaterally determinative, but yeah. You know. um, but just really impressed Mac Jones. Also, that Tua continues to take steps forward. Again, I'm not upgrading the Dolphins, I'm not upgrading Tua because they played exactly how I thought they were going to play. What I would say is I upgrade Mac Jones just because I thought he was going to be good. But he even exceeded my high expectations. That's how impressed I was with him. And of course, he's going to make rookie mistakes here and there, and, yeah, yeah. and that's going to happen. But I mean, this is a franchise quarterback. They've hit a home run here.
1: I mean, that's good. And, and I'm glad I'm actually glad the Patriots lost um, and probably should have won anyways, because I think the market is probably it didn't really pay attention. Probably going to assume they're the third worst team in the division. and I think by the end of the season they may end up still finding their way to the first um so that's still kind of my bold outlook for this division especially um uh moving on so a couple more games left broncos giants um i started to rewatch this when i I only got to the first half Mm -hmm. through the first half i mean god you know just they can't run the ball and daniel jones is just not a good decision maker i don't know it's yeah. it's it's literally this. I don't need to watch more. I I don't need to w- even watch the rest of the game to know what the Giants are. They're exact. They're the same team as last year. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be much better. They maybe have a little more upside with a few more weapons. Saquon um, finds form, but you know his uh, his rushing was the worst in the NFL. Um, week one, he was he was graded as the worst running back, starting running back in the NFL. So I I don't know. Gi- Giants to me could end up being a Two to three win type team this season. I, I, they have the defense to pull out some more wins, but I wouldn't be shocked. shocked I wouldn't be shocked if they crumble uh, throughout the season. Boom. See, when we're talking about
0: drafting this market narrative doc that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. you literally just summarized the market view on the Giants. Perfect. To be f- so to, I'm not saying, saying it's quick. wrong. I'm, oh, not I saying, know. I'm not saying it's not sharp. I'm just saying that is. Well, but to you ask any better, mm-hmm. any better, that's the view, and so that's what you need to write in this document.
1: But that to, type be, to be clear, though, that <laughs> that was my market view before the game, and what I'm saying is, the game is just confirming it. It's not a new market narrative from my position.
0: No, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. What I'm saying is, is moving forward Mm -hmm. if you're trying to bet the giants or bet against the giants you need to find edge and what i'm saying is in that narrative Mm -hmm. is consensus view so to to tilt one way or the other you need to find something that like well this looked not as bad and actually i can't provide a lot of commentary on this because this was one of i guess probably one of the least interested games because in the super book where we were watching it. It was like on the farthest side, like where basically no one can really see it. It's at such a terrible angle. So we didn't really get to see much of this game.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, I've, I've already put money out on the giants for Thursday night. So it's not, it's not a, I'm afraid to bet the team. It's merely a, on a macro view, Joe judges who I thought he was. Jason Garrett is who I thought he was. Um, Saquon Barkley not being able to run but that offensive line is what I thought it was. It's just like it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's a Denver's a good team and a good defense. Uh, you know, at least an average team. Um, so just what I'm saying is, there's nothing new. There's, there's, there's mm-hmm. not. At least in this mm-hmm. this first game anecdote, um, my market yeah. expectation was basically met. It's why I was on the. I mean, I, I really. I'm I'm kind of disappointed. I let the line move when it moved from one to three take me off Denver and actually kind of start to lean the giants because to me, the play was like, never the Giant Like you couldn't back the giants in this game, except if you wanted to play the whole, like, well, they're at home. Like, okay, Denver has as good, probably better defense. And once Bridgewater got the nod, the line move was entirely justified. Like that was a definitive, like you can't back the giants. Um. So I'm, I'm just disappointed that the line move deterred me not only off the Broncos, but actually started to make me kind of yep. lean towards the Giants in hindsight.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and any Giants backers probably was one of the most, one of the more frustrating games that you would have lost. We didn't allocate to the Giants anywhere. um, So we, we didn't, you know, there was no loss there, but I agree, I do feel somewhat of a loss because mostly over the course of the off season, we liked Denver. And yeah, to your point, the fishy line movement kind of kept us off, um, which is, you know, okay. I mean, and you don't want to be too results oriented here saying, Oh, well, the fishy line movement kept us off and ended up winning. Like, can't do that anymore. You know, um, like we talked about 20 minutes, fishy line movement should, it can keep you off. That's no harm, no foul. But the inverse, like it shouldn't put you on the game. And then you have like limited fundamental handicapping support. Yeah. You know, Um, so yeah, we can go on, move to the next game. Uh, This one I'm definitely gonna have to watch.
1: Bears, Rams, you had an interesting take. You told me in a previous little chat that the Bears you actually thought didn't play as bad as what we think the market thinks they played.
0: Yes, I think the bears, like, I feel like the seven and a half line probably was a, it should have been seven was a perfectly justifiable number because the bears didn't play miserable. They definitely didn't play well. They looked like the 23rd ranked team in the league. Mm. You know, Andy Dalton didn't look terrible. The offensive line didn't look terrible. The defense did not look good. Um, But that could have just been a consequence of of this could be one of the best offenses in in the league. Um, It looks like kind of the whole preseason narrative around Matthew Stafford really being able to unlock the very best of sean mcveigh's genius maybe genius is a little bit too too nice um but his madden style game planning um that totally came to fruition those you know uh matthew Stafford looked great um i mean again he's not some people think he's like no like Again, like, like treating this like Patrick Mahomes, like he makes these awesome throws, like left and right. And I mean, he missed some throws, like, just like we saw in Detroit, like he's not going to hit every throw. And, you know, this Ram seems definitely going to lose some games for sure. Um, not going to cover all of them. Got to going to have to be careful around Because I think because the preseason narrative came to fruition so decisively that this could mean that the Rams are now unjustifiably upgraded mm. when they were already high to begin with. Yep. Fair. So cautious on the Rams moving forward. I thought their defense was going to decline. I think that is going to continue to happen. Mm. Um, Bears were covering at halftime 13 and six uh, or 13 to seven. Andy Dalton threw an interception in the red zone from like five yard line. The Bears could have been winning this game mm. at halftime. But again, the Bears did not put an impressive performance together. They justifiably lost. They justifiably didn't cover, but they hung around more than you thought that they might.
1: Have. Interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to rewatch that game, kind of get that get that kind of feel on it. Um last game, Baltimore Raiders. Um I think we touched on it briefly, but you know, just to kind of finish up on on the recap. You know, I didn't think you could back the Raiders to start because John Harbaugh week one is typically just crushes it. Um, but as they got closer to game time, then, especially once the news broke with Marcus Peters being out and the running backs. <coughs> excuse me. I You know, it got to the point where I was actually betting the Raiders straight up and, and it, it played into what I thought was very high variant game, which is typically Ravens games. Is typically they they crush, which they were up fourteen nothing, or they lose straight up. And obviously the Raiders, you know, took advantage at home, were able to pull it out in overtime. Um, that's basically kind of the the variation I played. So you, like to me, you'd either play the Ravens spread or you play, let's say, the Raiders money line. Um, so and that's just kind of to me how the how the game ended up playing out. Um, so. Played into the expectations I had uh both ways. Um uh, I'm gonna rewatch the game, but yeah, any takeaways from you, Brett? Uh Ravens offensive line's got problems.
0: Mm-hmm. So Especially Lamar the- Jackson ended up running times that he didn't want to run. Mm-hmm. And when he doesn't want to run, he usually can't make much of it. Uh he, he's not adjusting mentally to where to go necessarily he's obviously very potent when it's a designed run or even he thinks he's likely going to run but when it's a clear pass play and the pressure's breaking down he gets caught up i mean again key fumble um him running around was the only thing that really kind of extended certain drives um again the raiders made some like kind of boneheaded plays but very impressive, but again, cautious. You know, patient around upgrading the Raiders meaningfully, just because this is what we saw last year as well. One of the things that we kind of talked about uh, offline, and you know, Gr- Gruden is great early on, both in games and in the se- early in the season. Um, but it's not sustainable, so we'll see how sustainable this is. Raiders got a ton of offensive weapons. Offensive line is beat up. Yeah. Jacobs is is beat up, but Jacobs still did provide value in this game on several occasions. And Derek Carr, I mean, looks awesome. I mean, he keeps getting better every year. I mean, his reputation doesn't get better every year, but like his numbers get better every year. Yeah consistently so. Um, and he seems to de- be developing some really good chemistry with some of these dudes. I mean, they got Brian Edwards, like really showed up in the end of this game and like, looks like a stud. He looked like a stud in very short flashes last year, then got hurt, basically misspelled the rest of the season. And when he came back, he wasn't targeted, things like this. But if you go back to like the saints game, I think last year, like week two, Brian Edwards like oh wow like watch out and that's what he looked like in this game and then you already got rugs, and Renfro Renfro is like the perfect third down guy yeah
1: he's like, you know, a, he's like slant, Julian, whatever Julian vintage
0: West yeah, yeah. um again the offensive line's got issues though. so that is where that's, that's where you have to be someday. careful yeah. The, the the raiders did a good job of kind of like bringing additional guys in to then do these kind of blocks that should, to add the extra layer and then the and then the ravens defensive line got banged up again yeah. uh like Ningakwe, or i mean uh Nengakwe went out for the raiders uh, but again some of the players on the ravens side also got beat up so that they were the same sort of pressure necessarily wasn't there um Yeah, but a lot of injuries in this game. So, you know, again, I'm patient on upgrading the Raiders, but they still could be bet on here in the first quarter of the season.
1: Yeah, I dig that. Um, Yeah, so I think uh, that wraps up our Week 1 recap. Is there any final, final thoughts on the Week 1 recap as far as just final takeaways? No, I would
0: just say let's not overreact to too much here um i think pretty much you know we just went through every single game and you know i didn't really talk a lot about well, i'm I'm upgrading this team a lot i'm definitely downgrading this team a lot and that's how it should be yeah so if you're upgrading a team massively off this week reflect
1: yeah on your i would would say the only team i'm meaningfully upgrading because i was unsure of them um, but now I think I have the confirmation I, I was looking for against a good defense. Is really the Chargers. Is just I I wasn't sure if they were a true viable contender, but you know, the way that offense played versus maybe a top five, top definitely a top ten defense on the road first week of the season, mm-hmm. um, they really did whatever they wanted to, and and it was a low scoring affair in the end. Uh, some turnovers and the red zone type stuff, but you know. I just quite impressed with uh Herbert Herbert's uh, maturity um and the offensive scheming uh which just really I didn't expect it to, I didn't you know you, you want to temper expectations from a rookie uh, breakout season a little bit um but you know week 1 so far so good so if that continues you know watch out in the, in the big picture for, for the Chargers for sure. What point,
0: I would say yeah. is, is I think my last takeaway for the week then would be is, uh, again, we weren't bear bullish, too bullish uh, on the Titans at all, but I would be cautious around completely dismissing them now. Mm. Like this is going to be an old school offense, like, and who knows? Maybe it could be. I mean, again, I thought that was a downside risk. Um, but all, all I'm saying is, uh, you know, this was like the number two ranked offense or something last year. And I understand the differences, uh, this year, but you know, just be careful if you think that what we saw in week one from the titans is going to be a pattern of what we see over the course of the season
1: well that's it from us and uh talking on the flip side